Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the church's response and preparedness. But before we jump into that topic, I want to talk to you a little bit about some resources. First, you hear me every week encourage you to take the next step. If you are not part of PeaceWorks University, then I believe that's your best next step. PeaceWorks University is our online membership community, and you can uh, learn more about that at chrismoles.org. PeaceWorks University has a vault of past teaching materials, resources, masterclasses, and an online community that I think would be a great addition to what you're learning here on the PeaceWorks podcast. Second, I want to encourage you to consider visiting menofpeace.org. Menofpeace.org is our newest um, service. It's a uh, digital course, a self-paced digital course for men who are identifying as abusive. You can learn a great deal about the course and the resources that are available at menofpeace.org. All right, well, on today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about a church's preparedness and then in turn their response. And it's directly related to a question that we received. So let me jump into the question and we'll spend our time trying to add some clarity. The church I attend has a team of abuse advocates that have your and Leslie Vernick's training videos. Now, I'm going to pause for a second. I'm assuming uh, this is the church-wide training that we did in Texas uh, in 2015, 2017, 2017, maybe. Um, and uh, that has been out there for quite a while, but hopefully... If I've got it right, that's what we're talking about, okay? So we have your and Leslie Varnick's training videos. Recently, a well-intentioned group member suggested that our church wasn't ready to hear about abuse or abuse advocacy from the pulpit. I'm sure this isn't the first time you've heard this. My belief is that we serve a God who hates oppression, and that would go hand-in-hand with nothing being hidden that won't be brought to light. Why wouldn't we talk about it? God forbid our eyes be open and there are too many people needing help. Is there ever a positive reason for a church to be slow to bring up the issue of abuse, raise awareness, or offer care and resources to the congregation? Well, thank you for the question. And uh, the short answer to the end of the question, is there ever a positive reason for a church to be slow to bring up the issue of abuse, raise awareness, or offer care and resources to the congregation? And the answer, believe it or not, is yes. Now, I do not know the extent to which your team at your church has been developed, but I will say that I have recommended for several years now that churches consider going a little slower when they're implementing abuse strategies. And and I'll try to clarify why and what pieces I think should be in place, especially when you're talking about larger churches. So let me just give you an example. On average, I, in my entire pastoral career, if you call call it a career, I've been a pastor 
since 1999. And I've rarely preached to more than 60 people at a time. I've historically pastored small churches. And so even this Sunday, I think, um, not counting the online audience, just the, the folks that were actually there in person, I would say there was 30. I was preaching to 30 people. So for a church my size, that's historically, you know, less than 100. And, um, you know, oftentimes we're really connected. I know everybody. Uh, I can move pretty quick. So I also am really connected to community-based resources. So for me to mention domestic abuse in particular or sexual abuse from the pulpit has little consequences because I have um, a pretty intimate knowledge of most of the folks that are listening and I have direct connection to community-based resources that I can implement that day immediately. I bring that up because many of the churches that I work with are much larger, much larger in scale than the churches that I traditionally lead and churches that fall into kind of the mega church category, which for me is anything kind of over that 1,000, 1,500 attender mark really need a little better systems, I think, than perhaps a medium-sized or, of course, a small church would need. So so here's what I mean by that. When I talk to pastors and leaders, uh, especially domestic abuse advocates and individuals who are serving in the church, I encourage them to have a few things in place before they go public. Because what I've seen is that pastors who learn about abuse get really excited. They want to help and serve. And so they stand before their congregations, typically in larger churches, and condemn abuse in all its forms, which is wonderful and necessary, but then have no real ministry response in place to handle the subsequent fallout. So that would be the primary reason why I would encourage a church to pump the brakes consider what they have available and what their ministry response will be. Several years ago, I received a frantic call from a ministry leader whose pastor had just preached a powerful sermon against abuse. And the subsequent response was so overwhelming that they had not properly trained their leadership to respond. And so I was asked and thankfully could respond at that point in time to uh, a request to be present at their church training in a week. Not everyone has that luxury. And now my schedule doesn't permit me to be part of that solution. So I think it is important that we really evaluate if we're ready to go public. It's not that we're hiding or it's not that the sin shouldn't be addressed or it's not that oppression shouldn't be condemned from the pulpit. All of those things should happen. But in larger church settings, it really needs to have a strategic ministry response or people are going to be re-victimized. That's the fear, that I, as a pastoral leader, stand before a congregation and condemn abuse. And then when confronted with real abuse and real needs of a victim, I don't have adequate services or recommendations or referrals to provide help. I'm kind of left shrugging my shoulders. And the victim who trusted me because of my powerful words is left worse off than they were before. We would rather a victim um, be ignorant of that knowledge, right, than to be uh, convinced that we can help and then to let them down. So that's one of the positive reasons for slowing down. It doesn't mean that it never happens. It must happen. We must talk about this 
but it doesn't mean that as soon as we get excited about it, we should talk about it. I'll give you one last example and then I'll, I'll move on. Recently, uh, I was made aware of a pastor who obviously was concerned about the issue, had received some information that excited him, shared it with the congregation, but he shared it very poorly. It was evident that he was not up to speed. He was not well educated on the topic. And so the information he shared, while helpful in some ways, was undermining in other ways. And so wisdom is really needed when we're communicating to our congregation. So let me give you a few things I suggest should be in place. And it's this is a small list. It's not exhaustive by any means, but it maybe will help us think through what are some things I want to have in place before I go public. Now, remember, again, smaller churches tend to have a little bit of an advantage here, as you can have conversations in Sunday school classes and small group meetings and um, fellowship dinners and from the pulpit and everybody's engaged. Uh, everybody knows everybody. In some larger church settings, systems are really required before you move forward. So in, the, in regards to the question, shouldn't we talk about abuse publicly? I think the answer is yes, but do you have leadership buy-in? Does your leadership, in particular those who fill the pulpit, have real buy-in to the issue and the solution? In other words, does your senior pastor and your teaching pastors, the individuals who are kind of the, um, the voice of the church, do they agree? Are they on board? If they're hesitant, if they're uneducated, if they're ignorant or hostile, asking them to present this from the pulpit could really be counterproductive until they're thoroughly educated in the problem. If we're trying to get ourselves in the pulpit with a, a pastoral team that is not quite on board, we could be perceived as um, uh, uh, bossy or overbearing or overstepping. And so we need to have conversations with leaders um, patiently, gently, and winsomely in the hopes of gaining buy-in because leadership buy-in is the greatest first step in developing effective ministries uh, at the level of the church because you get less resistance and more support, obviously. So do we have buy-in from our key leaders? Two, have the key leaders and key ministry personnel been trained? Have we done awareness training? Sometimes that's the very first thing that happens uh, even before there's something said from the pulpit that someone in the church has organized a training to raise awareness about the issue of abuse, has invited the pastoral staff and team to be part of that, and hopefully the leadership of the church has made that mandatory, has suggested that everyone in ministry attend said training. Those are some of the greatest first steps in church-based responses. So do we have leadership buy-in? Do our senior leaders understand the problem, and are they engaged? Are they ready to move? Two, have we had an awareness training so that folks that are directly involved and indirectly involved have a good understanding of the basics, the dynamics and impact of abuse? Because I can tell you ministry-based ministry responses where only a handful of us know the dynamics and impact are actually pretty dangerous. Imagine trying to set up a flowchart in a larger organization like a larger church 
of uh, referrals and systems and you know who reports to who and how are cases managed and how are care teams developed, but only five people know what the dynamics and impact are. So we have to have a strategy for how our leaders and key personnel are informed at the very least of the dynamics and impact. Do they have a level of understanding? Are we connected, number three, are we connected to community-based resources? Now see, this would be my go-to when it comes to um, um, implementation because I pastor a small church. So community-based resources would be my resources. I might mobilize some church folk to help me with things like rides if, if we needed rides or um, I have some very key people in my church who are in this world, in the, in the secular world. So being able to mobilize them would be, would be my, one of my steps. But in a larger church, perhaps you need to have teams that are going to be connected, individuals who serve as advocates. And it sounds like our questioner has advocacy in their church, which is awesome. Who can connect people to community-based resources like um, financial resources, safe housing, and, and so on? So number one is leadership buy-in. Number two is awareness training. Number three is connection to community resources. Number four is team building. It sounds like there is a team on the ground, but before we go public, I would recommend that we have a, a structured team in place where everybody knows their roles. Who's involved in the team? And I'll go back to my example of the church that kind of called me frantically. They had developed an advocacy team, a team that was prepared to meet with victims, but they had no strategy for confronting abusers. And so there was this uh, immediate fear of we've only addressed one, one person in the relationship. How are we going to handle the other person? And if you have been involved in church-based interventions, you know that there's an array of issues with abusers. Church security issues, safety issues, counseling and care and confrontation issues, theological issues, and a wide variety of approaches and strategies for dealing specifically with individuals who cross boundaries, who manipulate, who coerce, and who feel threatened. And of course, when a victim seeks help, um, the, the level of danger tends to escalate. So it's important that we've thought through some of those things. How are we addressing uh, parties being in the same church, for instance? How are we working with them on issues of safety? when it comes to worship and worship space. Um, and, and so those should be thought through, I think, before we implement ministry. And then ministry preparedness. Do we have a ministry response? Now, for some folks and in some churches, they're going to require a lot of heavy lifting here. Documents and waivers and um, theological position papers. For others, it's going to be a simple matter of of a flowchart on file or a point person who manages the schedule or who manages the personnel. But the, the question is, have we developed that team to the place that we have ministry preparedness? So when Pastor John or whoever it is steps into the pulpit and he says emphatically that abuse in all its forms is sin, violates the heart of God, the will of God, um, the, the desires of God, it, it, the image of God, and we stand wholeheartedly against us, against it, and we're a safe place. When that's said, do we know who does what when there's a disclosure? 
and and I think that is really the heart of the question. Like I hear the I hear the questioner's heart. You know, he or she wants to speak out, and there's even you know just a, a couple jabs in there about you know why wouldn't you? Like there's a problem with somebody who doesn't want to speak out, and I would agree if it's about hiding and and not addressing the problem. But there is wisdom in saying, are we ready to respond? Especially if, uh, if the church is a little larger. And if the church has kind of had a history of not handling the problem well, then there's probably layers of trauma and victimization that has occurred within the, the church. So we, we, shouldn't we talk publicly about abuse? Yes, but do we have leadership buy-in? Do have we conducted awareness training so that our key, key leaders and responders are are up to speed on the dynamics and impact? Do we have connection to community-based resources so we're not functioning alone, especially in the criminal and civil areas of abuse responses? Do we have our team in place? Does that team include folks who are going to at least, even if it's through referral, cover every aspect of of ministry vision. Have we done ministry preparedness? Do we know who contacts who, who's running point? <clears throat> Excuse me. How do we handle disclosures? How are we going to handle interventions and so on? And then lastly is ministry implementation. We're ready. We're at the place where we are ready to respond in the best way we can. There's no perfect response. No one has ever responded perfectly to abuse. No one ever will, I don't think. There are just too many moving parts here to have perfect interventions. But let's say we've got everything that we can. We've narrowed our focus as much as we can, and we're ready to implement. Now would be a great time for the pastor to um, have that sermon ready. I would recommend that, especially in a larger church, that the team, the core group, review that sermon, offer any um, concerns that they have about the language because you want it to be heard especially in the area of abuse, because the pastor is usually going to be the theological expert, whereas the advocates are going to be the practical experts. So I'm not saying the advocates write the sermon. That's not appropriate. Uh, but if you have concerns, you can bring them to the pastor, and then you guys can dialogue about how it's better worded, how you can stay true to the passage of Scripture, how you can stay true to the theology, while also communicating hope and help to victims. And then launch. I bring this up because, yes, it, I would agree we should hit it hard. Um, we should be aggressive, but not to the detriment of victims. So that's why I say, you know, patiently walk in. Now, if um, if a church or a team member is just saying we're never going to be ready, um, there's probably some truth to that. No one is ever really ready uh, to to step into this work. However, um, at some point, done is better than perfect. And so at some point, um, being prepared is good enough, right? So when you you have the pieces in place, when your response is going to be sufficient, then I would recommend addressing it from the pulpit. Uh, But there is wisdom. And I would agree with the team member in spirit uh, that there is wisdom in being prepared. However, um, eventually you will have to speak because this has to be addressed publicly. Well, I hope that helps, guys. I thought it was a great question, and I, I work with churches 
all the time. And I would say that's one of the key issues that I speak into is uh, helping pastors to slow down and think about the ramifications of what they're going to say. So um, just be aware of that, that our, our words uh, will produce a response. So we want them to be, you know, as wise as possible. But at the same time, uh, we need to address this problem. So there is a delicate balance here. Thank you guys so much for joining me today on the PeaceWorks podcast. Be sure to check out chrismoles.org. Also, head on over to menofpeace.org. Check that out. If you're listening on one of the major platforms, be sure to rate, review, subscribe. Let those platforms know how much you appreciate the PeaceWorks podcast. All right, everybody. Thank you again for listening. Until next time, God bless.